0: every generation there is a chosen podcast it alone will analyze the subtext the allegory and the clever weediness of dialogue it is
1: conversations with dead people Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, authors and educators to discuss two to four episodes of Joss Whedon's critically acclaimed series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and someday <laughs> its spin off series, Angel. We'll get to that. Uh, joining me this time is a uh, first time guest, Jessica Houch. Uh, she's a PhD student at Stony Brook University frequent contributor to slayage the journal of weeden and studies and a fanfic author with a fondness for spuffy so this should be this should be a fun conversation um jessica thank you so much for joining me how's it going
0: thank you so much oh it's great how are you doing
1: i'm doing well i'm doing well i uh i i've had spike fans on the show before but none of them to as far as i can remember none of them have identified as spuffy fanfic writers
0: yeah, well, there <laughs> there is, uh, I guess, a first time for everything. Uh, that's part of the reason why I chose these three episodes is because uh, Something Blue reads a lot like fanfiction, yes, which it I'm does. excited to talk about.
1: Yes, it does. So I will confess, I've never been much of, I've never written fan fiction, and I've never really been much of a fanfic reader. Um, the very small selection of fanfic that I have ever read has been Spuffy <laughs> fanfic, so... <laughs> So there you go. Um, my biases are showing, but they show all the time on this podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jessica, uh, you're first-time guest, so we need some background. How did you get into Buffy the Vampire Slayer?
0: Okay, hey, so I um, was 10 years old when Buffy started airing.
1: Oh, um, ouch, An arrow, <laughs> an arrow through my heart.
0: Uh, and unlike some of your previous guests, uh, I was not allowed to watch it at that age. My mom was afraid that it would scare me too much, uh-huh. uh, and she probably wasn't wasn't wrong about that. Um, so I actually didn't start watching it until season three I think is when I finally got the, the parental controls taken off you know <laughs> and so my mom was like okay you can you can watch this show uh and so I loved it I watched the rest of this the series um and then I went to college and I kind of like forgot about how much I loved it because um, I was you know busy doing college things uh not not unlike Buffy right, <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> so Uh,
0: then when I had graduated college, I was in a master's program, um, at Fordham university and I I live on Long Island in New York. So I was commuting back and forth and it was kind of this weird experience of going from having this really kind of close knit community living on campus, um, at the undergrad institution I attended and then going to this, this space, right. Where I was just kind of commuting in and out and didn't feel like I had any ties, Um, And one night I was just flipping through the channels and I came upon Buffy, Uh, I was playing on Logo, which is an LGBTQ station, Um, and I was like, oh, I remember, I like this show, let me just sit and watch an episode, and after that I was totally hooked again. Um, so I watched the entire series again, and and I think it was kind of fortuitous that it was season four, because that season spoke to a lot of the things that I was feeling about the kind of, you know, moving on to a new institutional setting and losing a sense of community, right? Um, so I became obsessed with it. That is when I started writing fan fiction. Because after I'd watched the series, I think two times in a row, I was like, okay, I need more of this. Um, and so first, it was my, my kind of dirty little secret where I did not tell um, his my my boyfriend at the time, right. But my my partner, it didn't tell him that I was uh, that I was reading or writing fan fiction, you know, I'd come home, and I'd shut the computer. <laughs> what are you doing? I was very, like, I was acting uh, very sketchy about it. Um, so, and and in that fan fiction community, right, I, I found a, a sense of belonging, right, where I was reading other people's work and commenting on it, and they were reading mine and commenting on it. And it, it gave me a sense of community that I was really craving. Um, and then also during the my master's program, that's when I found out that I could like write papers on Buffy, uh, which was a revelation, right? And so the rest of my academic career, I have tried to write about Buffy in pretty much every class I've taken. A linguistics class, I'm writing about Buffy, right? Uh, A class about, you know, exploring queer Asian subjectivities, I'm writing about the Buffy comics. Um, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so I really tried to finagle it into as many classes as possible. Uh, and, you know, that's also then where I kind of discovered the, the slayage community, right? And the Whedon Studies Association. And that became this kind of second community that grew out of my love of Buffy. So.
1: What is the what's the strangest most awkward uh square peg in a round hole you've tried to do with uh fitting buffy into a class or into an assignment
0: i mean it was probably the class on queer asian subjectivities we were reading all like um asian and south pacific islander writings uh mm-hmm. And I went to my professor with the Buffy season eight comics and the character satsu and I said, Hey, can I write about this? Uh, and somehow I got him to say yes. Right. (laughs) I don't know how I did it. I was also what
1: I was gonna say kudos to that professor for being so open minded about it.
0: Yeah. I also, the class that I kind of discovered this in, I mean, there's a, a lit film and development class, right? So we were watching a lot of films from the global South. And when it came to write that paper, I was like, Hey, can I write about Buffy? There's this great metaphor of colonialism going on in it. And, uh, my professor had never even heard of Buffy the vampire slayer, but somehow I managed to convince her too. So
1: Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> So just out of curiosity, we can talk more about this uh, in, in the outro, perhaps, but uh, is any of your fanfics still out there available for people to find?
0: Oh, it is, but I don't know if I want people uh, okay. to find it. <laughs> All right,
1: that's why I'll bring this back up at the end.
0: <laughs> I haven't read it in a long time. It might be this embarrassing time capsule. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, I'll bring it back up at the end. You can uh, take this time to consider and, and we'll see okay. if i uh... If you want to share it with us by the end. Okay. So, uh, let me get the spoiler warning out of the way for uh, anyone who's joining this podcast for the first time. Uh, conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast we're going to be exploring the plots characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole that means spoilers and lots of them so i recommend if you haven't already watched buffy the vampire slayer and angel the series all the way through at least once press pause on this podcast and go do that you'll thank me Um, in the meantime while they're doing that jessica if you're ready let's go to work
0: that's going to work.
1: All right, so this time around we are discussing three episodes. We're looking at 407 The Initiative, uh 408 Pangs, and 409 Something Blue, and these are I, I think I, I think it would be fair to say that each one of these three episodes um gets a, there's a fair number of fans that claim one or more of these three as among their favorites. At at least favorites among the fourth season, which doesn't get a lot of love as a whole.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking that as I was watching through these, that these are three pretty strong episodes. You know, especially for a season that is, you know, generally, I think, in the the bottom uh, of most fans, you know, rankings of the seasons. It's usually kind of fighting it out with... um, with seven or one right for for least
1: favorite yeah so um let's start off with the initiative but you you did mention at the top that you had like you requested to talk about these episodes um i suspect it was uh the next two that probably drew your attention more than the initiative but what are your thoughts on the initiative
0: Uh, so it's you know it's a I think it's one of, it's a Doug Petrie, right? episode. Uh, And I think he's one of the the best writers, especially out of the regular writers. Agreed. Um, And I, I, it's a great, it's a great episode. Um, I think there's a really kind of tight thematic exploration of of toxic masculinity and particularly the connections between sex and violence that are kind of parsed out throughout the episode. and, And I think really interesting ways
1: fascinating okay in all of my I mean you're right but in all of the notes that I took I don't think I ever commented on that I was so hung up in the minutiae of uh like the details of Spike's age and
0: uh yeah I have a note about that too so. yeah
1: yeah um and uh, you know I well yeah there's hilarious spike stuff in this too i don't know why i was thinking that uh it's it's pangs and something blue that would have gotten your spuffy heart beating but there's great spike stuff in this episode too but oh
0: yeah he gets to be an action hero right which is really fun
1: yeah yeah so famously this is the episode that um i guess some people consider kind of kicking the season like, like getting the season actually rolling i in uh in reading reviews and and like brushing back up on season four, as I'm recording these podcasts, I've discovered that a lot of people I've enjoyed season four. I've always been a kind of a closet fan of season four and I've enjoyed season four up to this point, but apparently a lot of people were felt like it was treading water and it might've been different watching it uh week to week. Like I'm binging it several episodes at a time. So that has, that gives it a different feel watching it week to week maybe it did feel like it was treading water but a lot of people were just waiting for something to happen and I know Mm -hmm. we had and there were several episodes where we had uh, these weird military guys just wandering around through the background without any explanation and uh, I I don't know a a lot of people felt like the season was treading water and the initiative I guess is where you know, we get the reveal of who the crazy military guys are, and so maybe it feels like the larger plot kicks in.
0: Yeah, well it's like, you know, it's expanding the the world building of the of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and it is interesting because I think we generally have to wait for the reveal of the big bad, right? In most buffy seasons. Mm-hmm. Um it takes a couple of episodes to, to get into it. Uh but this one this season it seems like it's even more kind of protracted
1: um yeah i genuinely have no recollection of how long it takes for us to for for adam to become a thing in this season i feel, yeah, li- uh, I feel like uh, that's i feel like that's way deep into the season before that happens
0: Right, and and I mean that does happen in Buffy episodes where they they kind of bait and switch who the big bad is going to be. Right, I'm thinking specifically about season two, where we think that Spike and Drusilla are going to be the big bads, and yeah. then Angel pops out, yeah. or Angelus pops out rather. Um, so, um,
1: all right, so let's talk about the initiative themselves not the not just the episode but the actual initiative um what, so how do you feel about i have my thoughts on the overall plot involving the initiative and them as kind of uh, a plot device but how do you feel about them
0: uh they are not one of my favorite plot devices um they feel a little world breaky yeah Um, especially their sudden appearance in Sunnydale, which I know that Sunnydale has a habit of having things, you know, manifest that haven't been there before, like universities and airports, (laughs) uh, and yes, this massive (laughs)
1: college campus in a one Starbucks town. Um,
0: but they don't seem to, to fit with the rest of, of the world of Buffy, um, and I'm not I, – and I think it's a combination of the kind of like the militaristic governmental structures and the kind of science-based inquiry that we see there. Um, but they always felt like they kind of didn't mesh, right? They're non-mixy things, as Buffy would say, yes. with the rest of the world of Buffy. What What are your thoughts about it?
1: Um, no, I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I also feel like um, – I mean I think that was probably my initial take as I've said many times I it's hard for me to cast my mind that far back and remember how I felt on first viewing but I'm I'm pretty sure I was I felt the same way that this just feels out of place like this doesn't belong in the show that I've been watching up to this point However um on this revisit of season 4 I've said a couple times now that um one of the things I one of the reasons i enjoy season 4 as much as i do which i guess is more than a lot of people is that it does break so many of the conventions that have been set mm-hmm. up in the the previous seasons and the initiative might be taking it a little bit far for me i'm i'm not a fan of the initiative uh in general but i do have to appreciate that it is as you said it's something different it is not something we would have expected to see in the show before although as we're saying this i'm remembering uh oh what was it was it i think it was 111 out of mind out of sight is that the one that had right. is that the one that had uh marcy uh, mm-hmm. the invisible yeah. girl and that episode ended with the freaking fbi or i guess it was the fbi Showing up and we got to see a a school for invisible assassins or whatever, which I thought, which I thought was always a a fun like I wanted more of that. But
0: um, (laughs) yeah, uh, I mean, that always that episode always feels really the ending of that episode, at least, um, you know, the the metaphor works works pretty well, but the ending always felt a little out of place. But yeah, I mean, a a spinoff series about that. I I could get on with that.
1: Yeah but um like as for so so in theory that's kind of my feelings on the initiative in practice i feel like they're pretty clunky um as a plot device as as i mean if it was just for an episode or two if this was the spike and drew of season four that would be one thing but spoiler alert the initiative sticks around for a while
0: yeah up to up through season seven right we, we got glimpses of the initiative.
1: Oh, man. Breaking my heart. I'd forgotten that it lasted that long. I was only thinking in terms of this season. Um, yeah, uh, there's there's supposedly a military operation on a pretty impressive scale. I mean, we get a brief glimpse of that, that white room with all of the dozens and dozens, possibly hundreds of cells.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that the episode does really well, right? So um, putting aside my kind of problems with the initiative the execution of it in this episode is actually really impressive um they do a great job of creating a, a sense of scale especially in the scene that you mentioned but also when we're kind of looking into the dissection pit i don't know what that that space is called right mm-hmm. but it- feels it feels massive, right? And and again, that's another break from we're usually kind of cloistered in these small spaces in Buffet.
1: Yeah, so I would say that that is the second example, at least that I have noticed. Uh I feel listeners or you, Jessica, feel free to correct me, but I feel like this is the second example in this season of them taking advantage of of large practical sets. So at the very beginning of the season we got they did a lot of on on location shots of UC Sunnydale, which was actually UCLA. Um, and I think it was maybe Tammy in the the Facebook group was commenting on how she had been listening to the episode with headphones. Uh, I'm sorry if if it wasn't Tammy that said this, but somebody said they were listening to the episode with headphones, and so they could really hear in those scenes. They could hear like the 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 echo of the shots being filmed in large open spaces. And um that created a very specific sensation in those shots. And I feel like the same thing happened here. I I imagine there was a little bit of camera trickery to make that the the white room or whatever seem bigger than it really was. But I believe if I if I remember correctly, I believe Douglas Petrie has said that uh that they were told to that, that Joss in the studio basically told him go big like you know find big spaces find find open sets like make this big this is supposed to be a big budget film or whatever I don't know what their budget really was but um and then the shot of the dissection pit or whatever when we first see Riley and uh Forrest and Graham coming down from the the frat house into the underground facility that's another gigantic open room uh, that really helps sell the scale of this.
0: Right. Which I, I think they need, they need that. Right. Uh, because of the, I think it's kind of the absurdity of the initiative itself. Right. Um, I think we, we need that kind of grandiosity. To,
1: there, is, to... there is so much underground in Sunnydale.
0: <laughs> it's amazing that the, that the town doesn't collapse until the seventh season. right? Yeah. You would think that with all the burrowing that's going on, right? There's there's nothing holding up Sunnydale. It's on like two two pillars somewhere in the middle, and that's it.
1: So I guess when I say that the initiative feels a little clunky to me, um, they are well. There's obviously a certain scale to them, and we're supposed to believe that they have uh, they have resources at their disposal, um, and yet they don't appear to be savvy to the whole slayer idea and spike spike manage first of all there's possibly hundreds of cells that we see down there and spike somehow manages to be hostile 17 so right. i don't know does that mean they've only put the chip in 17 people i i don't know but anyways well we guess...
0: also know that they're not very uh efficient right uh, i'm don't remember which episode is it where um Buffy goes and talks to Professor Walsh and Riley is bragging about how many uh you know how many captures he's made Uh and Buffy's like yeah that's cute (laughs)
1: yeah that's right that's
0: (laughs) right she's lost count at this point right
1: yeah so Um, maybe
0: it's more in anticipation for all of the the demons and vampires that they're going to catch than the actuality of their their execution
1: yeah um I also wonder so Spike's grand escape is is made by pretending to be unconscious and then just sucker punching a couple of un, unarmed lab technicians.
0: Well, he dives under some doors, too, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's just, uh, again, to jump ahead to pangs, I will just quote uh, Spike's line, this is the crack team that foils all of my plans. I mean, that was a pretty simple escape. It was fun to watch, but when you think about it, this uh, this well-oiled military machine allowed a, a dangerous hostile to escape by pretending to be unconscious and knocking out a couple guards.
0: Right now, that that seems how like government works, though.
1: So. Oh, that's true. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. So I do want to ask, um, and I as I was writing these notes, like my notes get pretty explicit. My notes are all about are all like, wait a minute how did that happen like that's how i write notes to myself um but as i was writing those notes i think maybe i came up with a fan wank for it but i'm gonna ask you how exactly is it that spike with this chip in his head uh, as we discover later in the episode how is he fighting his way out of the underground compound and then more importantly uh towards the end of the episode when uh he's fighting with Riley and and the guys in the hallway and he's smacking everybody upside the head with a fire extinguisher like how does that play when he's got a... uh, it
0: plays because that's what the plot needs to happen
1: see you're right you're 100% <laughs> right but that is not satisfying
0: i know it's not satisfying
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: yeah <laughs> so what is what is your theory
1: well my fan rank, and it, and this wank doesn't quite doesn't really cover the the fight in the hallway outside of willow's uh dorm room because it's after this but i was thinking all right maybe it takes a little while for the chip to kind of boot up maybe it has to um sink its teeth into his brain a little bit or whatever and it's not until so while he's fighting his way out of the initiative the chip hasn't quite uh Booted up, I suppose, and it's not until he vamps out and actually tries to bite willow that the chip fully activates
0: sure yeah that's that's fine head cannon
1: i mean i I guess maybe, but <laughs> as I said, that doesn't really explain him grabbing a fire extinguisher off the wall and clubbing someone in the head but uh
0: does he does he experience does he do they show him experiencing any pain? I'm trying to think back to the scene
1: i- I can't remember I feel like in that hallway fight there in that in that hallway fight, yes, there's at least One time because he, I can't remember Who it is he grabs, either Forrester or Graham But he, he grabs one of them And like goes to bite him, because I remember One of the guys saying, ah, it's on me, it's on me And he goes to bite him, and then He reels back and holds, clutches his head In pain, so at least part Of that fight they acknowledge the fact that he's chipped But then I swear Again, somebody correct Me if I'm misremembering, but I, I know He grabs the fire extinguisher, and I know it i know the fire extinguisher gets burst open and spews fog everywhere but i think before that happens he clubs somebody with it
0: well maybe they just cut before we could see him grab his head and pain
1: maybe it's just a show (laughs) i should really just relax (sighs) anyways uh so what else happens in this episode that we like
0: uh that we like
1: or don't whatever Um... what else do we want to talk about (laughs)
0: Well, one of the things that I had in my notes with lots of exclamation points uh, is, so I know I know that you are a Riley defender. Yes. Uh, I am not. Okay. Rich, given, you know, my shipping proclivities shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. But I think we need to talk about the ethics of Riley as a TA dating Buffy, a student in his class. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right like there's so there's this uncomfortable power dynamic between the two of them that the show conveniently ignores, right, despite the fact that we see him grading papers presumably for her class earlier in the episode, yeah so that's as, a that's as, a good as, point
1: i was about yeah. I was about to say really how much how much of a power figure, how much of an authority figure is a TA, I genuinely don't know. But then you immediately before I could ask that question, you said he's grading papers. And I was like, oh, okay. I get it. I see right there. Yeah. He's in a position to to affect her grade if they're in a relationship. So
0: Yeah, he sure is. So uh I felt like that was, you know, again slightly unpro like slightly problematic and completely ignored by the show itself. Um I know I so and I'm probably picking up on this because in as a phd student i'm working as a ta right now mm-hmm. and uh i'm not allowed to meet with a student with the door to my office closed right let alone start really? a relationship with oh yeah yeah um you know cuz most universities take sexual harassment pretty seriously yeah. Yeah. um so you know and, and i i know this is this is the sunnydale university um so the thing <laughs> has its own rules um, but you know, I do, I do think it's at least uncomfortable.
1: So That's fair. There's, there are a number of things that, uh, that nowadays revisiting the show, we, the Royal we, and I personally find a little more uncomfortable now than I did back in the nineties when the show was airing. So it's completely fair to call to to raise that specter. I, I would, um, I, I'm not pushing back on this, but my first sort of um, my knee-jerk r- defense of that would be that's hardly the most egregious <laughs> sort of uh, ignored power dynamic that this show has. There's there are countless examples of things that you're like, would that really like would they really do that in the real world? Um, but no, it's it's 100% fair to point that out, and I hadn't even thought of that. Um I guess my so like my defense, I don't know, defense might be too strong a word, but my I take up for Riley more along the lines of there's a there is a section of the fandom and I think not a not a tiny section of the fandom that um like genuinely <laughs> vilifies Riley. There are people that just actively hate Riley. And um, I, you know, whatever Fair is fair, you do you But I just don't think he's really as awful a character as so many people think In some respects, I feel like I agree with an earlier guest on the show In many respects, I feel like he's, he was potentially the best romantic uh, option or whatever for Buffy
0: Yeah. What the, the reason why I kind of reject him as a romantic option for Buffy, Buffy. And honestly, when I watched the show, uh, when I was younger, I think I, even though I still shipped her with Spike, I kind of, in my heart knew that, um, or at least in my brain, right. My heart was probably Buffy. My, my brain was like, no, Riley was probably the best, uh, the best guy for her. Uh, but when I, I revisited it, i found that um, that Riley has a habit of, of not letting Buffy be Buffy. He has a habit of, of kind of forcing her to sh- – and, he, and forcing might be a too strong a word. But when she's around him, she tends to kind of shrink into herself
1: hmm.
0: um, in order to make him feel better about himself. Um, so she, he reduces her in some ways. Uh, and I think we even see that in uh, in this episode, right? So it's really interesting the way that the episode sets up Riley because he's presented as this kind of foil um, to both Forrest, and we should definitely get into that that dialogue because ugh. Um, and then also Parker, which – also, ugh, um, I know that in your <laughs> in your episode about harsh light of day, uh, you you had kinder words for Parker than I would have. But I think this uh, the initiative kind of shows him to be pr- pretty gross, and I think that's might be part of the reason why he's so vilified uh, in in the fandom. Um, so, so Riley is kind of set up as a foil to these kind of, you know, hyper masculine, uh, sexually aggressive, almost predatory other men. Uh, but then he also says things like that um, boys can take care of themselves, but girls need protecting when yeah. he's talking to Buffy. Yeah. Um, and I think that 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 kind of that attitude toward gender prevails throughout his character and so he has a real problem in this season and then continuing into season five with the fact that Buffy is physically stronger than him so we get scenes where they're they're sparring and she's holding back because she doesn't want to hurt him um and he can't deal with that aspect of her yeah. So and- he's kind of like, you know, he's this guy who presents himself as a woke bay, right? Um, but then still <laughs> reinforces some of those patriarchal gender norms.
1: Yeah. But, and, and, uh, you're right. But I would, <laughs> I would have loved to see that. Um, I would have loved them to take the opportunity to have that be. That's a teachable moment, I guess Is where I'm going with that Like, it would have been fun to see I know the show is more about Buffy and her growth And her character development But it would have been nice to Instead of just having uh, Riley Like, completely collapse Under that particular um, uh, burden or whatever Like, he can't deal with that And ultimately, that's a large part of why He goes the route that he does Um, I would have liked to see him like learn from Buffy, like learn to accept the fact that women can take care of themselves. And in particular, Buffy can take care of herself. And sure, yeah, but um, anyways, yeah. Uh, a little, a little behind the curtains for my listeners at the time of this recording, I have actually not edited and published the previous episode. <laughs> so um you, Jessica actually have not had the opportunity to hear um, my most recent thoughts on, uh, Parker, but in the episode prior to this, uh, I had discussed how I feel like the show at a certain point, and, and I accuse the show of doing this a couple of times again in the future over the course of the series, um, I feel like the writers will introduce a character that is supposed to, that they expect the audience to go, ugh, what a horrible character, or whatever. Um, and when some aspects of the fandom don't necessarily respond to that strongly, they start drilling down and, uh, and, and saying, no, no, really, this character is awful. I know you don't believe it. I know you think this character is pretty cool, but we're going to have this character do awful, awful things. And we're going to have other characters around them point out how awful they are to prove to you fans that this character is awful as we told you they were. And uh, I admit in that discussion that this is a little unfair of me to to include Parker in this because Parker wasn't around long enough for really the writers to get an awful lot of fan feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it did to me feel a little bit like that, where, in my opinion, at least the first few appearances of Parker, he was. Not a not a saint not a great Guy I mean he definitely doesn't deserve To have a lasting relationship With Buffy but I just didn't feel like he was Anything particularly evil And then Like his next two appearances and especially Here where he is just overtly Grotesque and, (laughs) and, And fully deserves That knockout punch that he gets from Riley Like it just felt like The last couple appearances the show was like No really Parker's Scum here we're gonna we're gonna push it to the edge so you will know that parker is actually scum
0: yeah i mean i don't have any trouble believing that buffy uh chose to date or sleep even sleep with a man who is not great right so spike says she has bleeding poor taste in men right mm-hmm, yeah so uh that but yeah the the joke about the freshman girl on the toilet seat uh is disgusting yeah, um, yeah. so and you know as someone who who also has tragic taste in men, at least until I met my (laughs) current partner. I definitely dated a few Parkers in college. (laughs)
1: So
0: um, my animosity towards him is probably heightened because of those experiences.
1: (sighs) Uh, Totally fair. Totally fair. (laughs) Okay. So you, you, uh, you mentioned briefly, you teased that you had some stuff to say about the the conversation that Riley has with Forrest and then Graham eventually joins like early in the episode. So let's, uh, let's talk about that.
0: Uh, yeah. So what's interesting is that there isn't much distance right between Forrest and Parker and how they're talking about women. Right. Uh, they're really presented as being as a, as on a continuum right um Forrest also says some disgusting things women young nubile exciting each one a mystery waiting to be unlocked right he describes buffy as mash- mattressable <laughs> yes. um
1: and and actually after riley knocks out parker and they're walking away uh Forrest says come on man you've heard me say grosser stuff than that
0: yes and he does in this episode <laughs> yeah. uh, we also have heard heard Forrest say things that are almost as gross um so he and and what i think is interesting is the way in which he conflates um kind of military lingo and um and sexuality right so he says oh you made first contact which is a weird way to describe a relationship with someone mm-hmm. right um and I think, you know, I think he's there to be set up as a foil to Riley, right? So Riley is the good guy. He wants a girl that he can actually talk to, not just someone who's mattressable. Um, but I also think it's it's somewhat, well, not somewhat, I think it's very problematic that uh, this is one of the few male characters of color that we've had on the show with the exception of Mr. Trick, right um and he's presented as you know hyper masculine and sexually aggressive which is not a good look uh for the show I think right <laughs> um yeah
1: um yeah no I no argument for me that that opening that Forrest is not one of my favorite characters that whole opening thing with him um uh, talking about being mattressable and that it was pretty disgusting i'd actually forgotten i remembered not being a fan of uh Forrest, but i kind of thought it was just because i wasn't really a fan of any of the <laughs> initiative stuff but oh, no. graham
0: is a, is a darling boy <laughs>
1: <laughs> is he are you being sarcastic
0: character- well he doesn't get enough characterization to be objectionable <laughs> or yeah. for anyone to have any real opinion of him so i have my whole headcanon about graham
1: <laughs> <laughs> graham is graham's secretly a nice guy
0: Oh, he's the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyways, those guys were gross. I also thought it was kind of weird that in that opening sequence, they were acting like uh, Forrest and Graham had no, they at least acted like they had no clue who Buffy was. And then not much later in the episode, they're both like, dude, everybody knows you have a crush on Buffy. So either that (laughs) happened really quickly, or there's some sort of continuity gap in there somewhere.
0: Right. Well I think they were the ones they were telling everyone. Yeah. So that's why everyone knows. Yeah. They were doing like the Trump thing, right? Where, oh, God. <laughs> where it's something they believe, so they say everyone's saying it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, um all right. So let's talk about uh Spike's age.
0: <laughs> yeah. How old is Spike? That's a really great question.
1: <laughs> I I just love making this podcast all about uh picking nits at the the details that the show drops and then, uh, you know, um, conflicts with later or whatever. So here, Spike claims that he's 126. Uh huh. Um, in School Hard, Giles, looking up in his books, claimed that Spike was, I think he said over 200 or like around 200. Yeah. Um, later on in the series, I, th- th- it, I think it's full for love. I'm almost positive it's full for love. We learn that he's actually um uh, 120
0: he was also supposed to be turned in 1880 uh which depending on his age when he was turned you know would make him around 140 yes
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i di- i guess it depends on when you're measuring like what his age is from the time he was turned or from the time he was born yeah um so i mean i don't know maybe vampires it's okay if he thinks he's 126 Vampires don't really I guess they don't need to track their birthdays Yeah,
0: He feels 126 I, And that's what counts Yeah you're
1: as old as you feel You're as old as you feel Sure <laughs> sure. Um, okay before I feel like we've already gone Talked a lot about this episode But there's other stuff like I, I, had, I
0: know like all the connections between sex and violence
1: I, I had so <laughs> forgotten How amazing the uh this has never happened to me before scene between spike and willow was right
0: yeah um so yeah the the metaphor of impotence to kind of right which kind of fits within the history of the the symbolism of the vampire right
1: yeah yeah.
0: um and the fact that it's connected to neutering right and pangs i love the line spike had a trip to the vet and now he doesn't chase the other puppies anymore
1: yeah it's a great line
0: (laughs) oh it's a great a great line and uh, the way that – it's a weird scene, right? Because initially when he attacks her, it reads very much as a rape. Yeah. Um, in, in what – you know, turning at the, at the music and the way he throws her onto the bed and gets on top of her. Uh, it's very uncomfortable to watch that that moment um, because I think, it doesn't I think... play that different from the moment – you know, the way that Spike is shown raping Buffy in season six.
1: Yeah, the I think for me, at least the way that that I mean, it's hard now with hindsight, like knowing what the scene is, it's hard to watch it and not laugh because it's it's going to lead into one of the best comedic moments of the show. But when the when that happens, he turns up the music and he goes down on her and and then the camera pulls out and it's just in the hallway and you see other students clearly not noticing or paying attention to the sounds coming from this room. That's kind of where it's disturbing. And when you think back to on first, at its time of release, people watching this, that would have been a cut to commercial. People might have thought, oh, my God, they just killed Willow. Right. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. But then it takes a weird turn. Right. And um, this is I think there are multiple ways to read this. I mean, it is kind of. Troubling to have a character who was almost just killed or bitten or, you know, metaphorically raped, then feel bad that her rapist wasn't able to consummate. Right. Um, that, I think the... The metaphor kind of, tr- you know, troubles us a little bit. Um, but it's also kind of a sweet moment with Spike and Willow and they're trying to make each other feel better. So I have very mixed feelings about how the scene plays out.
1: Um, it's kind of a replay of the scene from Lover's Walk.
0: Right. And that scene gets directly mentioned, right? It's ra- directly referenced um, when he's talking about how he wanted to, to bite her, but he plays the bloodlust pretty cool. You know? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah um
0: but you know she's also like upset that he's not objectifying her yeah you know, it's very weird
1: yeah and then he's he's like i would bite you in a heartbeat
0: and then she says it doesn't make you any less terrifying yeah, right Which yeah. we're gonna see again um when she, when he's wearing xander's clothes and doomed right okay. and they have to assure him he's still scary <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah man so I, I uh i continue to have in an earlier episode i talked about how i was having sort of a weird reaction to spike's return um mm-hmm. and i i adore spike one of my favorite characters in the entire series uh and I there's so much of the stuff coming up that I absolutely love and I could never picture the show being without, but there's also stuff coming up. There's um fan debates and that kind of stuff that just give me major angst, um, that mm-hmm. that I know are coming from this and debates that are it's it's impossible that this podcast is gonna be able to make it all the way to the end without these debates coming up on the air. And I'm not looking forward to that. I'm so I am yeah, simultaneously. The soul yeah the
0: the the soul chip same death right yeah 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 yeah.
1: the so i i am simultaneously absolutely thrilled that my boy spike is back on screen and i love so much of the stuff coming up but i'm also like genuinely (laughs) conflicted about some of the conversations i know are coming so anyways um so
0: so this attack of willow right in the way it's coded as a rape i think also um, it has culminates some of the the conflation of sex and violence throughout the episode, which I think is linked to the toxic masculinity we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, there's a transition, a cut from Forrest saying, "I bet a lot of guys would like to get his hands on their hands on her," um, talking about Buffy. Mm-hmm. Cut to Spike saying, "Slayer, I'll kill you!" Right. Yeah. Uh, So we have these two, you know, getting their hands on her in two very different ways. And then the echo of, I got to see a girl by both Riley and spike Yes. in the episode, I think is really interesting. So,
1: which I read somewhere and I, I it's been a minute since I've seen the movie. So I actually forgot that this was even a thing, but I, I read somewhere that, um, it's been suggested that's some sort of reference to the final line of *Goodwill Hunting*.
0: Oh, if, I haven't seen *Goodwill Hunting* in years. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> it's been way too long. I didn't even remember that was a line, let alone the final line of *Goodwill Hunting*. So I, I can't speak to that. But I've seen some people say that that was clearly meant to be a reference to *Goodwill Hunting*, and I don't know why yeah. that would be, uh, except unless it's just a fun pop culture reference for the time. But I don't know if it has any thematic significance. I like is
0: why are Riley and Spike both obsessed with that movie? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was like, I like your read on it more that it's supposed to be a thematic link between those two characters. Not a, it's not there. We're not drawing a parallel to Goodwill hunting. I don't know what that's about, but. Um, uh,
0: the other things that I have in my notes. Oh, Xander and Giles is boys. night. boys. Night out. Yes. <laughs> uh so we have the reference back to Halloween, right? And and Xander's military expertise, which I know you've been keeping track of.
1: Yeah. And I'd forgotten that that fades.
0: Yeah. It, yeah, apparently. Um, and then, of course, Xander, the the kind of juxtaposition of Xander's hyper-masculine nira- narration of, you know, the two men out. Um, and then the slap fight with harmony oh my gosh. <laughs> which I know you you've been talking about the fight choreography so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that one
1: <laughs> I actually have in my notes I have my continuing examination of the best fight choreography on the series the Xander harmony slap fight might be at the top of the list That that was that was so beautiful and um that was it's hilarious to say this, but those were not stunt doubles. Those, that was actually Mercedes <laughs> McNabb and uh, and Nicholas Brendan. But apparently they had to wear pads like they made them wear pat like shin guards and knee pads and stuff like that, which is silly when you watch the fight. But um, oh, my God, it was so beautiful. Uh, yeah. Both both those actors just made that a riot
0: oh it's great yeah that was that's a a highlight of the episode but i did think you know xander and and giles and they're kind of they're kind of these two like wayward men right Mm -hmm. who don't know what to do with themselves um and that's going to play out with with xander throughout the season Mm -hmm. um and it's something that that spike picks up on in the yoko factor
1: right yeah um yeah, I, I've been talking this season About how I I really like the trajectory That they seemed to be establishing They seemed to be setting up for Xander Early in this season, in season four Where he th- The show will explicitly call him The heart of the team at one point late in the season But mm-hmm. early in the season It really feels like that Like he he's gotten multiple opportunities To actually be the person Who can effectively Like his friends can cry on his shoulder and he can give them sort of effective genuine counsel and I really love seeing Xander that way and I it that that waffles and then eventually kind of fades maybe like I don't think of Xander in that role later in the season in the series
0: yeah I don't think so either I mean I my I have um have similar thoughts on Xander that you do I think he's a very difficult character because i want to like him but then Mm -hmm. he does terrible terrible things um and uh his relationship with anya is really difficult (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because he is constantly belittling her and putting her down in in ways that you wouldn't expect from the heart of the team he's not very gracious to her
1: good point Good point. uh one last thing this is just a stupid thing that i want to say about okay because
0: per- i have two i have two stupid things left so.
1: okay well my my last stupid thing about this episode will be because i love coming up with ridiculous examples of how this show is foreshadowing stuff <laughs> this uh-huh. going to come later uh the shot of spike laying on the floor of his cell at the initiative the way that is first played the way we first see that shot um we are looking through the glass at him laying on the ground. And the there's a reflection in the glass that we are looking through of the tile floor outside of his room that that perfectly matches the tile floor inside his room. And so it actually makes Spike look transparent. Mm-hmm. And so in my notes, in all caps, I've got <laughs> Foreshadowing Angel Season 5. Oh,
0: yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, well, I also have a, a piece of ridiculous foreshadowing. Okay. Uh, I think we get our first our first foreshadow of the cheese man. The cheese man cometh. Buffy likes cheese. Buffy
1: likes cheese. <laughs> oh man, yeah.
0: Uh, and then my other oh other notes I had. Giles can draw. Is this something oh, yeah. he picked up uh, since he was uh since he's been out of a job this is a new hobby and also Spike can use computers apparently which makes sense right he's a modern man yeah um and then also harmony and her unicorn poster right and so we'll see this again in the real me right when she steals the the unicorn figurine is stolen from the magic shop and that's the tip off
1: Harmony. (laughs) but we
0: see her love of of unicorns start here
1: (laughs) i'd completely forgotten that i missed the significance of the unicorn poster
0: oh yeah no it's very important
1: (laughs) um it is just ridiculous how long the 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 joke of harmony of vampire harmony how long that plays throughout it both series old. both series
0: never gets old <laughs> um,
1: all right so let's move i've just i'm just going to accept and warn my listeners now although at the time when my listeners are listening to this they will have looked at the website and seen how long the episode is they already know we're going to run long but i am we've gone almost an hour on just the first episode so listen
0: we've got this is gold this is yeah. podcasting gold we're producing yeah here, so. all right so
1: let's move on to pangs which is which is um well we'll see we'll see how we land on this but i feel like this is one of the big episodes everyone this is the one that like so many fans rewatch every thanksgiving
0: yeah and it's an episode right so it's got that going for it yeah
1: yeah um all right so how do you feel about pangs Oh. Oh, no, interesting.
0: I, mean, I okay. I like the episode a lot. I don't like what the episode is saying, if that makes sense. I enjoy watching it, but I also have to, you know, put my I I have to, I have to do a, a Giles and just kind of, you know, put my head in my hands at some point, during it.
1: This <laughs> this could be either amazing or tragic i don't know if we're going to come down because i i would preface my feelings of pangs the same way you just did but i don't know if it's going to be for the same reasons so let's get into this and see um why (laughs) why do you kind of hang your head at this episode
0: um i mostly it's the the representation of american indians and indigenous
1: peoples okay yeah
0: (laughs) Um, so like Buffy as a show doesn't have a great record of cultural sensitivity. Anytime we get representation of the global South, it tends to be in this antagonistic malevolent form. Um, so we had the, the mummy Inca girl, right? Mm-hmm. We had the African mask that turned everyone into zombies. So, uh, you know, the, the show has a history of demonizing, um, you know, other cultures. Literally. Literally demonizing them, um, and I think we see that happening here too. Now the you know the episode, to its credit at least debates what 's going on, uh, but I think where it lands is is not great <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, i I think we might be mostly in the same place because I agree with everything you just said, and I also have so uh, again in in researching and everything i came across some quotes from uh espenson where she talks about how like uh, and i of course i don't have them open in front of me but my scholarly listeners have doubtless read these interviews before but she talks about how um how like accurate a lot of the details were like the the artifacts that we see uh the the knife and the artifacts and i th- think they said basically everything but the costuming which fell apart because of budget she she talks about how so much of that was like accurate that they had done a lot of research to make sure that they were accurately representing elements of the Shumash tribe um it's that's
0: great we still have to kill them in the end it's diff. <laughs> it's
1: difficult to buy that like i i have no reason to I, I adore espenson i have no reason to think that she's not telling the truth about that but it's there's something about the way it's represented on screen that it still looks just as Hollywood fake and, and, you know, stereotyped and cliched.
0: And I don't think that like the accuracy of the representation matters all that much when at the end of the episode, the resolution has to come from our heroes vanquishing these indigenous people. Right. So not only have, you know, the white settlers, uh, Genocided their their is that is that the verb form of genocide? I don't know. Um, it is now. <laughs> their you know their people, but we also have to destroy their their spirit right? oh, <laughs> by yeah. the end of the episode. Um. So yeah, so I'm not sure that like oh well, making sure that the artifacts is correct is 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 the problem with the episode? Yeah
1: it, the it. It was a little bit weird for. <laughs> For Willow, Xander, and Anya to actually ride to the rescue on stolen bikes like the cavalry—that was right.
0: Oh, and Buffy's wearing a cowboy hat. She's
1: got and... a black cowboy hat at the beginning. Right. Come on, that's
0: in my notes. I'm like, that's never a good fashion choice, right? <laughs> Don't wear a cowboy hat. Uh, but also, I mean, I guess it's worth—it's something that she's wearing a black hat, but that's not how the episode portrays her, right? So, mm-hmm.
1: so. Yeah, here's here's the the weird dichotomy of me as your conversations with dead people host. I I eighty percent agree with all of the all of what we're talking about here. I feel like it's really troubling uh, the sort of message at the end, but I'm I'm also about twenty percent put off by just how vehement and and I I don't know what word to use, but willow kind of gets on my nerves a little bit too so there are moments where i'm kind of on spike and giles's side with the whole you're, you're a conquering nation you came in like i don't actually agree with that at all but there are moments where her refusal <laughs> to accept we have to find a way to stop the i don't know am i am i digging myself a hole here
0: Uh, No, I mean, I think we're, it's intentional that we're not supposed to agree with Willow. Um, So I, I, as I was watching, I kind of went through and like tracked the different Scooby's responses. Uh Um, So, so Buffy has this very like PC, it's Native American. We don't say Indian. Even even
1: though, even though, hang on, she gets that line. Hey, we don't say Indian anymore. It's Native American. But the, her previous conversation with Giles, they had both been saying Indian multiple times.
0: Right. Well, and she makes fun of that attitude in a previous episode. I want to say it's Angel when she finds out that Angel's a um is a vampire and she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Should I say undead American?" Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she kind of mocks that PC-ness earlier in the season when it comes to the demonic other. Um but yeah, she's like exhibiting a lot of like white guilt, right? That she would want to find a non-judgmental way to kill him, that she'd personally apologize, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then Willow, like you said, is kind of, you know, over the top. She she calls them fluffy indigenous kittens, which is not – Oh, my God.
1: Did she say that? Did I miss that said line? She that.
0: Yeah, that's a real – that they were fluffy indigenous kittens before the, the colonists showed up, right? Oh. So she – even though she's defending them, she's still a, a dehumanizing – literally dehumanizing them, right, in that comment, um, and she, you know, she does kind of list the atrocities, but I think she represents some of the the problems with like the white of white liberalism, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and you know, white women have proven themselves to not always make great choices when push comes to to shove, no matter what ideology they're professing, right? um so you know by the end of the episode she's attacking the the indians yelling why won't you you die right
1: yeah
0: (laughs) it was a very like get out moment
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah this is this is a weird episode um i i it's (laughs) it's difficult to pick on this because i know this is such a fan favorite and it gets such a a rea a reaction from like from the audience as a whole but um there is great stuff in this and i would never want to cut this out of the the canon like there's there's a lot of tremendous stuff especially with spike uh in this episode but um it is really it is really awkward and a little bit uncomfortable to watch
0: And this is something that I think it's fair to come up against in in a show like Buffy, um, where you can love it, but just recognize that not everything it does is perfect. You know, that's kind of my attitude as a a fan, Um, as someone who writes about representations of race in Buffy. uh, There's a lot that the show could have done better. Uh, I still love the show. It's still my favorite show. Uh, But, you know, you can still recognize its shortcomings. And I think it's important to do
1: that. Yeah. Um, um, I love the fact that the opening line of the episode is uh, the vampire saying, why don't you go back where you came from? Things were great before you came.
0: Yes, <laughs> I noticed that, too. Um, so this is my this goes into one of the arguments that I made in my paper. Um, in one of the papers I published in Sledge. the article, I, I argued um, that like Buffy and, and humans in general are presented as. This kind of colonizing force, even back all the way to Welcome to the Hellmouth, um, where we get the kind of creation myth of the of the series, which is that the earth once belonged to the demons, but then it was colonized by humans who forced them out. Oh, yeah. Um, And so, you know, I in, in a lot of my academic work, I read the vampires and the demons as this kind of colonial other. Um, And I think, you know, we we mentioned Spike's line, you had better weapons and you massacred. Well, that's exactly what just happened to him at the initiative. Right. Yeah. Like the initiative's weapons are much stronger than his, you know, fists and fangs. And then he was dominated by them, right? He's kind of forced into this position of a colonial subject who he doesn't fit anymore with the, the vampires. We see him longingly look into the vampire family dinner, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't fit with the colonizers either, right? He's this kind of mimic man. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting. And oh, wait, the other the other thing he does in this episode. Uh, is that he compares vampires who don't eat to skelet- like he says that they get they get skeletal—and he compares them to famine pictures from those dusty places of the of the global south, right? Yes. <laughs> like he's inadvertently drawing some of these parallels. Um, so even while he's professing this kind of British, col- you know, colonial ideology, um, he is actually living it, but doesn't seem to realize
1: it. Giles has a line that I didn't. Um I didn't write this quote down. Um but he he even says the it's when Buffy says we say na- it's native americans now we don't say indians and he says something to the effect of oh yeah it's hard to keep up with the lingo i still have trouble not thinking you, of you guys as bloody colonials. Yeah. 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 Um and let's see. Oh the I was trying to quote Spike earlier when uh when he was talking about how you know you you conquered or whatever. The great line I was looking for was you exterminated his race. What could you possibly say that would make him feel better?
0: Right. And you, uh, you can have casinos now. It's probably not what you can say to make him feel better.
1: (laughs) That was terrible. That was terrible.
0: Yeah. Not Buffy's finest moment. Let's put it that
1: way. Um, So we get uh, another, uh, another ridiculous bit of foreshadowing. Uh, Spike's, obvious willingness to feed off of the the soon to be syphilis killed Xander. <laughs> um reinforce reinforces? That's not the right word. What would it be? Um retro reinforce foreshadow. I don't know. Anyways it it <laughs> uh, <laughs> it presupposes what we're eventually going to learn about Darla's backstory. Um I think it's in season two of Angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um about uh vampires and their immunity to human disease or at least that human disease that particular human disease
0: yeah and also i think um you know speaks to spike's eventual character development in triangle where he promises not to feed off of bleeding disaster victims
1: i forgot about that good point yeah (laughs) um all right, so <laughs> do we? Is there anything else we need to nitpick Do we need to bash this episode anymore or, Well
0: uh, we need to talk about Angel
1: Yes okay I was going Because I, I promised my listeners that I was going to s- Try and track all of the This may be unwieldy At a certain point but at the moment I'm going to track All of the crossover episodes and this is A crossover episode uh, Where um, In Angel 107 The bachelor party At the very end of that angel's um partner doyle has a vision and that's what sends angel to this episode of buffy so that's what he's referring to and then this episode of buffy will lead into the next episode of angel i will remember you which is a pretty big one for most of the fandom
0: yeah that episode even though i'm a spuffy shipper um Makes me cry every time I watch
1: I'm, it. I'm the I'm the same way. I really, I really, genuinely don't care for the Buffy Angel relationships, especially at this point. I feel like it. It has run its course, and they found a great way to leave it, and they just won't ever leave it alone. So mm-hmm. on the on the one hand, I roll my eyes that I will remember you, but yeah, it tears me up when I watch oh, that it.
0: end scene. It's it's too much, and I I think they're they're not good for each other.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: But I still, you know, I still cry.
1: (laughs) Agreed. Agreed.
0: Um. So, what do you what do you make of Angel in this episode?
1: Um. He was super annoying in this episode.
0: Oh my. Okay. Good. Yes. I did not care for him.
1: I I really 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 don't like the whole the the forced by fate to stay apart but they secretly spy on each other and make colossally stupid decisions just so they can be close to each other phase right. of the uh, angel one relationship of my
0: notes, one of my notes says the return of stalker angel yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. My, actually my, uh, my first note on this episode is angel getting back into the quote quietly creep on buffy from the shadows unquote game you've got to keep your edge somehow
0: yeah it's not it's not a good look on him um especially because he's really bad at it uh you know he's like the the secret identity thing he's he's not great at it
1: (laughs) no and i really it it it, it really like i painfully rolled my eyes when he did the whole when he was talking to willow and he's like who's that guy it's like oh please can we not go this route but um yeah so now my real question my real question about the crossover element of this is um and, and this might be a difficult thing to address since we're not simultaneously reviewing the actual angel episodes but i just want to raise this question um what was it about this particular threat that alarms the powers that be as they will come to be called on angel on angel the series why why was this enough for them to send their sort of fangy champion to investigate, and yet the the indisputably more apocalyptic threats that continue over the course of the rest of Buffy the Vampire Slayer apparently they don't merit the power that bees powers that be attention
0: um I think it's because it's a it's a threat of of brown people and the powers that be are racist
1: <laughs> okay. All right. They no are other. the one the one time we the one time we physically see them in Angel, they are super white. You're right.
0: They are super white. <laughs> I mean, there is no explanation except that again, plot, they wanted a crossover. Yeah, right. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Well well, I will tell you, I'll tell you what my my fan wank of it, and I am not satisfied with this. It's just a thing that I try to do. I try to come up with an explanation, and I'm not satisfied by it, but here you go. I would say that maybe this is another elaborate, obtuse manipulation of Angel um, and Buffy, I guess, in this instance, um, which is all designed simply to create the circumstances that will lead to the episode, I Will Remember You, because the powers that be need Angel to let go of his connection to Buffy.
0: Sure. Sure. (laughs) yeah see
1: not satisfying and i don't know if it tracks but i was like maybe maybe that's it if you're trying to make this feel realistic but i mean you're 100 correct it's just that they wanted a crossover and so this is how they did it um
0: yeah so and it's and also it it always frustrates me too when angels being like paternalistic toward buffy Mm -hmm. and saying like that she you know if if it's really if it's a threat and you're worried about her, you, can, you could also pick up the phone and call Buffy and say, "Hey, well,
1: um, he's already tried that and he couldn't talk to her."
0: Oh, that's true. Grow <laughs> well, up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, but you know the the idea of like, well, this is I'm going to make this decision for you. Yeah. Which tends to be his MO. I mean, that's what he does at the end uh, in the prom too. Yeah. Right, So he, you know, and I I don't like that. I don't like that it takes away Buffy's agency.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm just scanning my notes for other little things I can mention. I mean, we get the first, the first, as far as I know, it's the first use of the, the name vengeance demon or the term vengeance demon. Oh yeah. Although it's not directly applied to Anya yet at this point.
0: Right, although it is, you know, it, 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 it's good.
1: Yeah. It
0: works well, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where Xander says, you don't talk to vengeance demons, you kill them.
1: I didn't know it um, felt that way.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, so she falls about on being a little speciest. Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of good foreshadowing um, for what's going to happen in something blue, too, right? So we need that introduction of vengeance demons yeah. in order for that to work. Um,
1: also, why oh i'm sorry go ahead, oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just gonna ask why does why is anya acting like she has never seen angel before
0: good question
1: <laughs> because she saw angel in doppelganger land right am i'm i'm not misremembering that i, uh, I don't remember okay. it's been a long
0: it, it's been a while since i watched that episode
1: okay uh, well, anyways what were you so other
0: things, I mean, the other kind of, we kind of hit the the racial aspects of this episode pretty hard, but I think we should also talk about, you know, the significance of Thanksgiving, particularly to the individual characters. Okay. Um, like Anya, Buffy, and Willow, right? So for Anya, has that great um, description of Thanksgiving as a ritual sacrifice with pie.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. Uh,
0: right, uh, which that works. Um, and I think, you know, her her description is actually probably the most accurate in that it gets to, you know, the kind of the bloody, violent uh, reality that underpins the American myth. Um, you know, for, for Willow, it's about this kind of American mythology that ignores actual history mm-hmm. and what actually happened. And then for Buffy, it's just all about family, right? It's, it's holding on to this idea of family. She talks about remembering when she was eight years old, um, which I thought was important because that's, that's when her family was together, right? That was before her father left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's this kind of memory of, of having a family and, and That's why she's so obsessive about getting everything right.
1: I mean, these two episodes, uh, back to back, this one and Something Blue, they again, it's a thing that I feel like even even the most shallow of viewers has probably picked up on. But every once in a while, the show is overt about it. And this one and Something Blue have overt moments of Buffy basically calling Giles her dad. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, I think the only time they get more overt, overt in it is in the episode "Family" in season five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and that's—I mean—that's really touching. That's—that is one of my favorite moments in in um, in something blue. And so, is Spike? Is Spike? Has he found a home with the Scoobies?
1: I mean, huh.
0: home is the place you go. When you go there, they have to take you in, right? Oh, good point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean I think that this does speak to his um not I wouldn't say integration into the the Scoobies but I think this is where we really see him start to to be connected with them right their their relationship's going to be a little weird throughout season 4 and into season 5 until they kind of figure out what to do with Spike um but this this seems to be the moment where he's being at least initiated I guess into that that kind of circle right that that we're now prepared to see spike in scenes with the scoobies when he's not fighting them
1: yeah and he uh spike replaces oz in the opening credit in the title sequence now um right so which lets the viewers know that he's going to be a recurring character thank goodness um i i i will have to schedule like bonus episodes of this podcast in the future that are just me and my guests talking about spike, like not, not even (laughs) reviewing episodes, but just talking about spike because there is so much baggage, both good and bad that comes along with this character and his journey across the series that, uh, I could easily fill the, the supposedly 90 minutes that I want these podcasts to run with just me talking about, about him. Um, I, I, I will say that this is absolutely the beginning of his, I, uh, in air quotes, integration into the group. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's a long ways away from actually becoming a member of the Scooby Gang. But uh, yeah,
0: I mean that doesn't really happen fully until the end of season five, right? When Buffy invites yeah. him into the house in the gift. If, that's the, the kind of the moment that marks that.
1: If even then, because even then there's. <laughs> even then it's a it's an awkward integration in the group but
0: yeah uh, well but, he has been uh, really stalker <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but um, yeah I, I think you know the end of season five is when we start to see that and then certainly by season six mm-hmm. when he's when he's babysitting Dawn. yeah um so what do you make of him being shot full of arrows like saint sebastian
1: <laughs> well i don't uh i'm i'm not smart enough to have a lot of opinions about that i just i know the reference but i i i don't have deeper thoughts on it what about you
0: uh i, I mean i don't think it's i i wasn't able to to come up with anything i have very uh limited knowledge of saints um except that he's a patron saint of soldiers and Spike becomes a kind of soldier to Buffy. That's really superficial and not productive.
1: I, I um, My only thought is that um, at a later point in uh, the series, we get Spike delivering a version of the St. Crispus Day speech.
0: Yeah, yeah, we sure do. So uh, I wonder if it's more like his kind of his penetrated body, right? Because his body gets penetrated a number of times, mm-hmm. um, most notably in intervention um, with glory torturing him so it also seems like a kind of a visual echo of what he does to angel
1: when he tortures when he tortures angel
0: yeah and he he puts the iron rods in him
1: yeah I I mean realistically it was probably just an excuse they they couldn't they wanted to demonstrate that the uh, the indian spirits were dangerous but they couldn't have their heroes get filled full of arrows so they had a convenient <laughs> target there that could just take as many arrows as they needed
0: right yeah um, uh, and they kept missing the heart so that was good yeah yeah <laughs> um and of course then we also get the the line you made a bear
1: which is you made I a, think bear. a classic undo it undo it right <laughs> so classic I mean, that's a, ter- that's a terrible, that's a terrible, terrible scene. I remembered that scene fondly and then rewatching it. I was like, oh man, that is clumsy as heck.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean,
1: I don't know. You couldn't really have Sarah Michelle Gellar wrestling with a bear. I get it, but that was not well done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. What else? We So we mentioned Xander gets the, syphil- the funny syphilis. The funny syphilis. Right. Which is going to be mentioned again in um, Buffy versus Dracula and sung about and once more with feeling. Right. Um, One thing I noticed when I was watching this is that Willow seems to be fairly over Oz in this episode. Um, And I know she goes back into his room in something blue, which might be what triggers her. But I thought it was interesting that there's really no mention of Oz.
1: Yeah, although this is, uh, is it this episode that we first hear Oz's full name? Or was that the last one?
0: That was the last one because that's when Buffy confronts uh, Doctor Walsh about not acting like a human.
1: Right. It was uh-huh. the last one. Yeah. It it blows yeah. my mind that uh, that was the one, I guess, and only time that we ever hear his full name. I've just always known that Oz was short for Daniel Osborne. I forgot mm-hmm. that it was the initiative. The one and only time we ever actually hear that. So yeah. That was weird. Um, but yeah, I I guess you could say that her her continuing inner turmoil over oz um leads to maybe some of her over the top behavior in this episode maybe yeah
0: maybe. no she's simmering like the yams right
1: <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um all right let's get to something blue okay um which you told me off mic you have all kinds of notes on these other two but you didn't have very many notes about something blue which um, initially no, i
0: was I was just enjoying the smoochies. I was going to say, initially,
1: it surprised me because you're my Spuffy fanfic guest. Uh, but then, yeah, you were like, no, I was really just paying attention to the episode. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. That makes sense.
0: Uh, yes. I mean, this is this is like, like I said at the top, this is like fan fiction. Um, right. So fans started shipping Buffy and Spike in back in season two. Yeah. Um, but I think this is the first time that the writers have found ways to contrive to get them together. Um, which they do a lot of very creative stuff until season six. Um, so we get this episode with the spell and like, what's fun about this is these are kind of conventions and fan fiction, right. About how Uh to get characters that are antagonistic to, uh, you know, have sex with each other. Um, so this, this is kind of the first time that we see this then we have the dream sequences and and um out of my mind in season five when when spike realizes that he's in love with buffy
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh and then of course the buffy bot (laughs) in intervention (laughs) which is another another one of my favorite episodes (laughs) um yes i was but i was really struck at how much foreshadowing is in this episode
1: the cold open features uh Buffy and Willow walking through a cemetery and Buffy having the whole talk about real love and passion have to go hand in hand with pain and fighting.
0: Uh yeah, that's Buffy's type. Yeah. <laughs> that's her jam, right?
1: <laughs> so this episode is is basically one big foreshadowing of season 6
0: Absolutely th- it is. There's
1: the there's the obvious of the whole Buffy and Spike thing that happens yeah. the, the Which slash again- fiction.
0: Yeah, passion and fighting, right? I yeah. love line. she's like, "You'll you'll like him." When she's talking to Riley, you'll like him. Well, nobody really likes him. I don't really even like him.
1: <laughs> yes, yep, that's.
0: But I love him, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's base, you know. That that pretty much sums up their relationship. Buffy,
1: Buffy claiming to be over her bad boy phase.
0: Yeah, she's not.
1: She's so not. <laughs> she's so not. Uh, there's the no. other obvious thing of Willow's sort of. I will say experimentation but actually maybe abuse of magic
0: yeah well we see her out of control right and and one of the lines that really struck me was I where she says I know I could have made Oz stay with me yeah better at magic which is exactly what she tries to do to to Tara
1: yeah actually Buffy says a another one of those funny throwaway lines that in hindsight is kind of chilling Buffy says uh we may need a forgetting spell yeah. This may require yeah. a forgetting spell. Yeah, that's funny now. It's not gonna be so funny <laughs> by season. When you're six. Joan. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um and then even like, you know, the 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 fact that Willow is drinking beer, right? Which is supposed to be this really out of character moment for her. And and that I think like kind of speaks to the the not great, I think, uh addiction magic storyline.
1: Man, that,
0: I'm, that
1: season 6 i'm not a fan of the magic as it magic as a drug <laughs> metaphor that no. we get beaten over the head with in season six but um no
0: but but i do think like the use of beer here right is is kind of interesting in that sense
1: well it's also, interesting it's interesting because this is the same writer that wrote beer bad
0: right yeah tracy forbes who only wrote a few episodes and none of them are very well liked
1: yeah. Um except I forget
0: what the third one is that she wrote.
1: Except possibly this one. I feel like this is a pretty well this is a pretty beloved episode, I feel like, and I was surprised to see that it's the it's Tracy Forbes.
0: Yeah, well that's because people love Spuffy. So they're yeah. just they were thirsty for it.
1: <laughs> they were thirsty for it. Not <laughs> unlike beer. Yeah.
0: We're not unlike beer. Yep. Um also Amy seems to show up anytime Willow is behaving badly with magic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so you know the fact that her transformation in season six, and then she becomes an accomplice to Willow's magical addiction. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Oh, this is also. I think. Have you talked about the crimpy Buffy hair theory? <sighs>
1: I no, I haven't because I didn't realize there was a theory I made again I haven't edited and so you so you haven't heard my discussion of beer bad but I talked very briefly about cave Buffy and how I, I felt slightly shallow saying this but I kind of thought cave Buffy looked good and I kind of liked her really messy cave girl hairstyle and then watching this episode it it Yeah, I don't know what the crimped hair theory is, but I didn't necessarily like her hair in this.
0: Well, so the theory is that in season four, when Buffy has crimpy hair, it means that she's not being herself. So we have crimpy hair in Beer Bad, we have crimpy hair in this episode, and we have crimpy hair in Who Are You when uh, when Faith takes over her body.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So this, was a fan, this was a fan theory that came out <laughs> about. This that
1: <laughs> it is, it's it's possible. I've heard this before and have just forgotten it. But this, I'm re I'm rediscovering it now, and I love this. <laughs> um, one of my notes is that uh, at the end of this episode, Buffy seems to have gotten much better at lying, or I guess you'd say acting. There was the earlier. Uh, an earlier episode where she says she's terrible at acting and then we get to see her be terrible at acting um, mm-hmm. and she just can't like deliver a lie very well but when she's playing off the whole I was getting engaged thing when she's lying to Riley at the end of this episode she she does really good
0: yeah should we talk about Riley and Buffy's picnic Okay. they don't have much in common do they <laughs> no they don't
1: no they don't <laughs>
0: uh so and you know i love that she doesn't get driving for fun right which is a reference Uh back to to band candy Uh and uh the only time we see buffy driving a car but even you know when she's talking about why she likes riley the sparkage comes from his arms like he has good arms is what she says about him yeah and that seems to be it
1: the the irony of this whole riley thing is that she she has a bad boy thing she clearly does undeniably no matter how many times she will tell us that she's over her bad boy phase and so for a while even though earlier i said in some respects i think riley was the best fit for her i think for a brief time once their secrets are exposed and they know they each discover who the other one is for a very brief period of time i think they Mesh pretty well, I think. There's potential there.
0: Oh yeah, especially when they're in that haunted house. <laughs> is,
1: is that the is that the repeated sex thing?
0: Yeah, that's that episode. Yeah, i i <laughs> a,
1: a previous guest had mentioned that, and I had totally forgotten that that scene was a thing. And so you
0: probably just repressed it. I, I'm so sure weird. I
1: did. I'm sure I that did. That might
0: be the last Tracy Forbes episode.
1: Oh man. <laughs> um. Uh, but, but even
0: in this episode, right, the sexual tension between Spike and Buffy, even before the spell, it's amazing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much more than Buffy and, and Riley at any point.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree. You know? I agree. Um, when
0: she flashes her neck at him, and all the butt blood just pumping, pumping. away, right?
1: Oh, and she tells gosh. him I'm
0: dying for a good sleigh. <laughs> Um,
1: oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Again, how did this make network TV? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've said before that the whole Riley, the that Riley's storyline, ultimately, I look at as kind of a tragedy. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm a little defensive of Riley. Or, you know, I stick up for Riley more than a lot of people because I feel like his story ultimately is a tragedy. Buffy uh, does claims she's over the bad boy phase. She she tries to have this attraction to Riley, who is ostensibly he's he's the Captain America, like he's the good old boy. Mm-hmm. Um and, but he gradually like his relationship with Buffy, and and you know, we can and will at various points over the season debate how much of this uh is Riley's fault and how much is anybody else's fault, but whatever, ultimately Riley because of the relationship he has with Buffy goes down a very dark path. And it's that very dark path, at least in part that pushes that pushes them apart basically. So he goes dark and she, and, and that tears them apart. Uh And so she just goes back. Uh, the irony is, she pretends she's over her bad boy phase. She's not over her bad boy phase. He goes bad. That breaks them up. She then goes to the next bad boy, <laughs> the the baddest of bad boys in her bad boy phase.
0: Right. Well, he also goes bad in a very specific way.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> that uh, I, you know, it's not, he's not bad as in, uh, I'm a really hot, sexy vampire uh, <laughs> kind of way, right? He goes bad in a I'm going to go to prostitutes and then blame you for not giving me what I need. <laughs> kind of. <like.
1: laughs> oh, man, this is going to get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we haven't gotten there yet. So let's talk about um, I mean, what else? Is there anything besides the spuffy to talk about in this? There is, well, I'm sure. I mean,
0: is. so I think the the mechanics of the spell are interesting, and I'm going to circle this or back around to spuffy because of course I am. Right. Um, but the way that the spell works, right, is that there seems to be there has to be some sort of of fundamental truth to what Willow wants to happen.
1: Right. Interesting. So, so you're saying yeah. that the all of the changes that she affects have some element of truth. Like, there's some basis in reality to the changes she affects.
0: Yeah. Right. So, like, she she tries to will the Q-tip to be on bendy, right? Uh huh. And that doesn't work because the Q-tip's ontological state is bendy.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> but when she's talking about Amy being a, a real girl right Amy is a real girl trapped in a rat and so we see Amy appear okay. um, and then she says she's a rat which Amy is also a rat you know she's been a rat uh, and so she turns back into a rat so we see this this kind of, we see the kind of mechanisms of the spell right so she tells Giles you don't see anything which is true on a metaphoric level mm-hmm. but he also has a vision impairment right he needs glasses Mm -hmm. okay she tells she says that xander's a demon magnet which we know is canon
1: yeah (laughs)
0: yeah there's no doubt about that especially you know and and if we weren't sure it'll come up again in season uh seven in first date, right where he continues to be a demon magnet yeah so there seems to be an element of truth about that so what spuffy shippers like to theorize is, well, what does that say about Spike and Buffy? Huh? I'm waggling I'm my eyebrows. I know you can see me. <laughs>
1: I can hear it. I can hear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the waggle?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so
0: this, I mean, that's part of the reason why Spuffy shippers love this episode, is not only do we get smoochies, but um, it also lays some, some groundwork for some theorizing.
1: So I missed a tremendous amount uh, by not being more sort of Connected to the online fandom At the time of the original airing um, I can't remember I think it was Probably closer to the end of this season When I uh, Really kind of Got more involved online So I Apparently I missed a lot of the The passing notes in class That you Spuffy shippers <laughs> Got to enjoy oh, yeah. <laughs> Um because I absolutely was a spuffy shipper. I was pretty hardcore about it, but I don't remember like ever having talks with people about how, uh, like about this, about how, Oh, everything else she does taps into some truth. So obviously the Buffy and Spike thing, that's a truth that the show is trying to show us. Um, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's totally yeah. awesome. So. um, And I don't necessarily think I, I, I don't think that's wrong. you know we're laughing about it you're kind of you're kind of you know making it sort of jokey in the way you present it uh but as a deep down inside as a diehard spuffy shipper i completely agree i think you were absolutely right
0: that's because you're looking at it with with shipper goggles on
1: yeah (laughs) yeah
0: um let's see other notes i had Anya's haircut's really cute
1: Oh yeah, Anya finally changed her hair. Uh I had mm-hmm. commented in an earlier episode that it was it was strange for me to see Anya with the long dark straight hair and that I it to me it was a little it was just one more of the slightly uncomfortable um coding of her as a replacement for Cordelia. Mm-hmm. That she even kind of had the same hair that Cordelia had and I and I commented that I tend to think of Anya as having the shorter blonder hair and then this is where that apparently happens
0: yeah no it's it's cute um okay, here's a question I had for you. Does de Hoffren fit into this episode
1: um well i my memory is terrible, but I do know i I do remember that that uh commu- that what do he say is talisman that he gives her. Mm -hmm. The uh, his business card that he gives Her that pays off many many Seasons later so in that sense I feel like absolutely he Like I think he fits in This story just because it makes for a tremendous Payoff you know Four seasons in the future But In terms of the Plot of this episode
0: um... I mean should Willow Be eligible to be a vengeance Demon I guess is what I'm asking (laughs)
1: Uh, I, I get the reason that that was in there, but mm-hmm. I, I think maybe what you're asking is, does it count because Willow's not actually actively seeking vengeance on these people?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I was going with this. Right. So he, I mean, to says like the intent doesn't matter, but I, I think it should, Yeah, right? <laughs> I think it should. Willow was upset about Oz. I mean, if she had, you know, cursed, um, Oz with boils on his penis the way Anya would have um, then I could you know then that seems to work that seems to fit with, with vengeance what vengeance demons do and who they are
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but the repercussions of her spell it was an accident it was not intent right so I think this is, is did,
1: did he actually say intentions don't matter I'd forgotten that
0: he said something about that because she's like I didn't mean to do that and he's like yeah it doesn't matter Look at all the pain you're causing.
1: That that's interesting. Okay, so I guess uh again a fan wink I guess I would say maybe um he just recognizes the potential in her. But I'm thinking back to like uh th- The Wish, where Anya, who's who we learn is like one of the <laughs> one of the best vengeance demons that De Hoffer ever had, or whatever she was all she basically was tricking cordelia like <laughs> she was just trying to draw the words out of cordelia mm-hmm. um and the fact that cordelia didn't actually like genuinely wish that you know all those terrible things had happened i mean the whole rules of vengeance demons and, and that stuff seem pretty loose
0: yeah it's I guess it seems like
1: that. I can't remember we get more vengeance demon stuff later. De Hoffren comes back and we, we Halfrick and all that and I don't mm-hmm. remember how how many other rules or qualifications we find out later. So um it would have been interesting to explore the notion of Willow as a vengeance demon for a little while, maybe.
0: Yeah, well, well I mean we'll get she gets plenty of vengeance with Susan. I know
1: um, uh, another thing that my uh, beloved spike gets to to demonstrate in this episode is that he's the only one that notices how willow is hanging on by a thread
0: yes i had a note about that too about how empathic and sen- like insensitive he
1: is uh yeah i think um did you say empathic
0: Oh, i did but i meant to say empathetic oh uh-
1: okay well i actually have the word empathetic written down here and i was afraid to use that word i was afraid people would say no he is not empathetic i actually have it in my notes so
0: yeah no he is he can he feels other people's pain Mm -hmm. he doesn't act on it he's not nice about it (laughs) but he i think he picks up on it
1: yeah no and i i believe this is a trait um I mean I, I this is not a revelation a lot of people believe this but uh this is something that was revealed in Lover's Walk with the whole you're not friends you'll never be friends.
0: Absolutely Point. and he's going to I mean he's going to be evil about it uh but he's going to use it in the Yoko factor. Right. Right yeah. that he uses his um his em- empathy and percept you know and perception to he knows exactly where the cracks are uh, in, in their relationships and he will, he exploits it.
1: Yeah. Um, God, I love Spike so much. Um, so the, um, yeah, this is the episode that gives us the line. This is the crack team that foils my every plan. I am deeply shamed. Um, yeah. uh, what else do we it's, have?
0: I mean, it's also, so they're Buffy and Spike, um, I think it's interesting how their relationship affects each of them, uh-huh. right? So, so Spike becomes very eager and willing to be integrated into the group, right? As soon as, um, you know, helping Giles. And he's like, ah, oh, it's almost like you're my father-in-law. Yeah. You know? um, and so he, he, you know, steps into that group membership. What's, Buffy has almost an opposite reaction, right? Where she becomes more distant to her friends and the you know and, and and Giles um through because of this relationship with Spike right so she she gets the little wedding cape topper but doesn't seem all that concerned that the magic shop is out of the the ingredients for the spell to restore Giles's sight and in the crypt during that fight uh with the demons you know she's more concerned about making out with Spike which wow. you know fair but (laughs) (laughs) um, but her friends are being pummeled right so so it's it's again kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen in season six where she is cut out off from her friends at a a point where she's in a relationship with Spike
1: that's fantastic that is a fantastic point I hadn't I was looking for all these uh, parallels between this episode and season six and um, I actually had a question about Buffy's behavior here and didn't think of it in terms of well this is kind of what she'll be like in season 6 um because i've heard people complain that of all of the characters buffy is the one that acts the most out of character mhm um and i mean i get that i guess technically the others their characters don't change like giles' his characteristics don't change. He just loses his eyesight and Xander, his character, his behavior wouldn't change. He just becomes a, a demon magnet. So really Buffy's the only one of the group whose behavior even would change based on the spell, the parameters of the spell. So I, I'm just realizing now that's kind of an odd complaint for people to level <laughs> at the episode. Um, But I, yeah. I, I like your read on it, that this is absolutely you know, a parallel to what Buffy's going to be like in season six.
0: Also, it's not, she does tend to do this when she gets into relationships too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will see something similar happen in where the wild things are. The really bad, um, sex episode.
1: <laughs> that, that's the really bad sex episode. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's and it is, okay. I just looked it up. It is Tracy Forbes. Oh so. man. man.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah so I mean that that's part of that is like she's also like she's so into having sex with Riley that she gets she's ignoring her friends who are yeah. in need of help,
1: huh well, now I'm baffled by the by how common that complaint is i I really did see a lot of in a lot of the online commentary and reviews and everything people pointed out that Buffy was the one whose behavior changed the most, and yeah. uh yeah, I don't know that's a little baffling, I guess. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. But um, I I will talk about the fight in the crypt.
0: Yes, I had a note about that, too. Uh,
1: Because, excuse me, again, I want to bring up the the sort of... the parameters of his being able to fight. So when they are running away from the, the magnetized demons that should ostensibly be chasing Xander, but at a certain point, they just start all going for Buffy. (laughs) And um, when the first demon, like with those gigantic horns shows up and Buffy's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this, but we're not going to mess up the foliage or whatever. Uh, Xander, Anya and Spike are all just standing back watching the fight. And at that moment, I was thinking, oh, this is Spike saying, no, my girl can handle this. She doesn't need any help taking on this one demon. And then other demons show up and they all run away. And for a few minutes, I was like, <clears throat> why, isn't, why is not Spike not joining in? Like, why are we not seeing Spike ever take the opportunity to help his fiancé in this and fight? And
0: then it's also, it gets really contrived to keep him from helping. Yes,
1: yes. And then I realized when we get inside the crypt and, and he's like holding the door shut and and he says... He says, I can't fight, so I don't know if I'll be able to protect you. I was like, oh, yeah, he still thinks he can't fight. So we haven't yet real. We haven't discovered the caveat to his condition where he can actually fight demons. And I genuinely can't remember when we discovered that.
0: We discovered in Doomed.
1: (laughs) So is that this season?
0: It's this season. Yeah, it's in a couple of episodes. It's uh, right after the episode after Hush
1: okay so yeah it's just a couple episodes away
0: uh, and I think the reason they didn't do it is because when he does discover it you know at the end of that episode he gives that great speech about wanting to go out and fight evil yeah. with uh, Xander and so it really needed to have its own own moment that it wouldn't have gotten in this episode
1: yes uh, I agree with you but that does leave it looking pretty contrived why oh
0: it's silly <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really silly
1: um, but Anyways, how? What? How? Three excellent questions.
0: Uh, there are so many great lines, you know. And those, I love when Buffy's like, oh, "I must be immune because I'm a Slayer." That's right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: there yeah, their their discussion of wedding
1: invitations
0: and where to have the Oh, it's all wonderful. And and poor Giles in his ratty old sweater, just trying.
1: It's, a, to it's okay. It. I have more bourbon. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah no it's a it's a really like I said, it's a really fun episode it surprised me how long it takes to get to the spell when i was rewatching it because i you know because when i'm when i think of that episode i don't think about everything that leads up to it um because i what delights me is just the, the actual spell
1: <laughs> can i be blind too
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, it's great. Great. Stuff. I can hear the snacking. <laughs> I feel like the rest <laughs> of this podcast episode is just going to be us quoting lines <laughs> of
1: each
0: other. Um, yeah. Uh, I, will, I will give a shout out to Willow's Speak No Evil shirt at the end of the episode. It's very
1: cute. It is very cute. This is also, is this the first time we hear her or maybe anybody use the phrase, so mode it? Wait, does she say so mode it be? I think, that's um, the, I think that's how she ends her spell Which if I'm not mistaken That is a that's a real uh, That is a real element to like Wiccan um, Chance I don't know what word to use But so mode it be is, a, is an It's a legitimate Element of Wiccan Whatever mythology And so I, I couldn't remember if we had ever heard that In any previous Willow spells
0: I don't I don't remember
1: Okay this is the episode where we disc- where they they introduce passions to the show
0: oh yes yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> which that does continue that does become a running joke right i'm not misremembering that
0: yeah it shows up again in checkpoint in season five um okay. when when joyce and spike bond over passions. oh
1: that's right that's right that's right yeah <laughs> timmy's but, down yeah, the that's... bloody well And and Willow (laughs) calling Spike the undead English patient. Oh, it's so good, so good. That is a great line. Um, This is this is clearly Tracy Forbes' shining moment as a writer on the series.
0: Well, I wonder, and I wonder how like the the undead English patient. uh, I wonder how much of those lines are Whedon,
1: kind of coming in and tinkering, doing a polish because
0: it feels like a very Whedon line.
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, Now I want to go look up Tracy Forbes and see what else she's done. Um, Okay. I don't know if I have anything else for this. Is there, uh, there probably Uh, is other stuff, but.
0: uh, That is, I think, everything I had in my notes for this episode. So unless you want me to go back and continue ranting about pangs, uh, I think (laughs) think I'm out. (laughs)
1: Well, uh, Well, I'll give you the opportunity. Is there anything major? Is there a major rant that you didn't get to express about pangs?
0: let's say uh <laughs> I uh one of the things I really took issue with was the um the first image we get of the warrior embodied he's splitting the throat of a white woman yeah that was gross mm-hmm. uh you know that that recalls a lot of racist representations of American Indians as savage others and yeah I mean we we, we hit a lot of my rant points <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> all right um well um yeah again uh this episode ran long i apologize uh but it was so there was a lot to say about these um even if half of it was just us quoting spike
0: (laughs) hey you know what i would listen to that
1: (laughs) (laughs) like i said there's bonus episodes coming that are literally just gonna be me and guests talking about spike and that's it um I'm only half kidding. If people out there are inter- interested in something like that, please let me know. I would happily do that. Um
0: and I would be happy to come back and talk about Spike at any time. Uh awesome. it's great to have a forum like a forum to do it instead of just going up to strangers. And,
1: uh... <laughs> awesome. Well, you are uh, absolutely invited back anytime you want. I can't remember if you're if if you had signed up for future episodes, but um just let me know uh, whatever you want to come back for and we'll we'll see what we can make work. Um, Thank you for joining me here. Um, we didn't we never even said the word Hamilton, which is a crime. So I have to have you back so we can talk about Hamilton.
0: That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of where I could fit a Hamilton quote in and I'm sure I could have. Um, you know,
1: yeah, we will. Uh, we We absolutely will have a more Hamilton specific episode at some point and I'll have you back or at the very okay. least I'll get you on my other show and we can just talk about Hamilton the whole time.
0: That sounds great. Yeah. I, that's another thing that I will talk to anyone about. <laughs> awesome.
1: So uh, I give all of my guests an opportunity if they so choose um, to out themselves in public. Uh, how can our listeners find you online?
0: So I'm at, I'm on Twitter at Jessica dot oh. That's,
1: that's it. Yeah. That's
0: it? I, I tweet about, uh, I have feminist rants, um, and my cats a lot.
1: Awesome. <laughs>
0: awesome. So, and, and of course, Buffy, actually I've been doing a lot of uh, research on 50 shades of gray. So I've been talking about that a lot too.
1: Oh, all right. Um, speaking of inappropriate sex. Uh...
0: <laughs> yeah. Fan fiction. So that's where, <laughs> that's where, that's where that connection comes from.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Speaking of fan fiction, Jessica, at the top of the show, <laughs> we talked. Uh, we, we talked about how you you've done some fan fiction.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to keep that my dirty little secret. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that far out of the closet with my fan fiction yet. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. All right. Well, maybe another time. Um,
0: maybe.
1: <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I I'm gonna have to go out and search for it somehow, though.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I will have to uh, read it and see how how embarrassed It's one of those things that I wrote a long time ago. Uh Uh, So I don't know how embarrassing it is at this point.
1: Okay. Um, in the meantime, uh, everybody at home, thank you so much for for joining me, for joining us. Uh, You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. There are a number of Buffy and Angel podcasts out there. Actually, I don't know. I might be lying about the Angel podcasts because nobody but me wants to talk about Angel. But there are a bunch of Buffy podcasts out there. And so if you could say some kind words about me, it would really help uh, sort of uh, get, you know, I would help me stand out from the crowd is what I usually say. I don't know why I staggered over that, um, so much, but if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you would just like to share your thoughts on any of the stuff we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at cons with dead, or reach out to us on the Facebook group conversations with conversations with dead people, uh, next week, my good, loud punk rock friend, Ken Edwards, uh, is going to uh, be forced to unplug so he can join me to discuss episode 410, Hush. Um, I'm thinking that entire conversation is going to take place via dry erase boards, which ought to make for a pretty interesting podcast. We'll see how that works. Um, until then, ger-arg, everybody. Ger-arg.
0: The dreams we planned,
1: something new. His wedding band, something borrowed was the part I gave you. You returned it torn in two. and that's why. And that's why I am something new.